Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, we are in the second week of our Advent preaching series uh, that we're calling The Gospel and Scrooge, as you can see up here on the screen. Um, Scrooge, of course, is the main character of Charles Dickens' classic novella, A Christmas Carol, uh, which was first published, as we said last week, on December 19, 1843, exactly 178 years ago. And over the past 178 years, uh, this story has certainly won its way into our hearts. In fact, I was reading this week uh, that this story has been adapted into a movie at least 135 times. And so it is certainly one of the most recognized Christmas stories, uh, maybe the most recognized Christmas story, apart from the real Christmas story that we have in the Bible. And so what we are doing as a congregation, as a church family in this preaching series, is we're looking at how the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the good news of Jesus that we find in the Bible, how that gospel is communicated to us, illustrated to us, through the pages of A Christmas Carol. And so last week, as we kicked off this new series, we began by looking at the character of Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge is introduced to us at the beginning of A Christmas Carol as a mean, nasty, bitter, cantankerous person. I think we got a picture of him up here on the screen. And we made the observation last week that when we look at somebody like Scrooge, who's so obviously miserable, it's tempting for us to believe that we are doing better by comparison. We say to ourselves, well, listen, I'm not a perfect person, but come on, I'm not nearly as bad as that guy is. And yet we set ourselves up for deception when we do that, because as we said last time, there is a Scrooge in everybody. There is a Scrooge in everybody. As human beings, we are not always loving. We are not always kind. We are not always patient. We are not always generous. We're not always forgiving. Sometimes we could be mean. We're not always the people that God wants us to be, that God intended that we would be. And that's because in the depth of who we are, there's something that we all struggle with. In the depth of who we are, there's something we all deal with. And that's something we all deal with and struggle with is sin. And yet at Christmas time, 2,000 years ago, God came to redeem us from our sin. God came to save us, rescue us from our sin, uh, to set us free, to deliver us. And just like Ebenezer Scrooge is told by the ghost of Jacob Marley, his old business partner on Christmas Eve night, that he's going to be visited by three spirits. Well, in the real Christmas story, we hear of God's plan to visit the whole human race with God's salvation in Jesus. And so hopefully, folks, as we're beginning to see, the Scrooge story gives us a window into looking at Scripture, um, reflecting on the gospel, the claims of our faith, what it is that we believe as followers of Jesus. Um, this week, as we continue our journey through the Scrooge story, uh, we're going to shift gears, and we're going to turn our attention to the first of the three spirits promised to Ebenezer Scrooge by the ghost of his old business partner. And of course, the first spirit is what? The ghost of Christmas past. The ghost of Christmas past. And so going back to the Scrooge story, Jacob Marley, the ghost of his old business partner, that ghost has just left. Scrooge is sitting up in bed. He's trying to process all this. Did I really just see the ghost of my old business partner who's been dead for seven years? Am I really going to see three more spirits? Well, then suddenly, the clock in the house 
makes this loud dong, dong, dong. It's one o'clock in the morning. The bed curtains are pulled back. Anybody have bed curtains? Yeah, not here in Florida, uh, but I guess they have them over in England. The bed curtains are pulled back, and Scrooge finds himself confronted by the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, this illustration is actually a pretty good uh, way of depicting uh, the way that Dickens describes this ghost. Uh, he says that the ghost is small, has the appearance of a child, and has this perpetual light shining about it. And then at this point, Scrooge has a conversation with the ghost of Christmas past. This is how that conversation goes. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? Asked Scrooge. I am. Who and what are you, Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past, inquired Scrooge. No, your past. Scrooge then made bold to inquire what business brought him there. Your welfare, said the ghost. Scrooge expressed himself much obliged, but could not help thinking that a night of unbroken rest would have been more conducive to that end. The spirit must have heard him thinking, for it expressed immediately, your reclamation then. Take heed. And so in the spirit's own words, the whole reason this spirit has come to Scrooge uh, on Christmas Eve night, 1843, is for Scrooge's reclamation. Can you all say this word with me? Reclamation. Uh, reclamation is not a word that we use a whole lot these days. I imagine it's probably been a pretty long time since you last used the word reclamation in a sentence. Uh, reclamation is an old word, but it literally means to reclaim something. In other words, to recover something, to restore something back to its original condition. And so I thought it might be helpful for us this morning as we try to wrap our brains around this word reclamation uh, to look at some examples of items that have been reclaimed. And so I encourage you to turn your attention uh, to the monitors, the screens. Anybody here into old cars? Anybody know what year this car is? Exactly, 1955. Steve Peck, you really know old cars. Good for you. Did you read my manuscript? Yeah, <laughs> you did. That's pretty amazing. This is a 1955 Chevy that has been reclaimed. Uh, it's almost as if we're looking at two completely different cars, but believe it or not, this is the same vehicle. Uh, this over here is a 1960s vintage Coke machine that has been reclaimed. Some of you are probably upset that I used the word vintage with 1960s, but that's what it says up there in the image. Does anybody remember when Coke was 10 cents a bottle? Yeah, it's a little bit more expensive now. Uh, this over here is a leather couch that's been reclaimed. And so as we can see in the bottom photo, uh, the leather's darker, it's not as faded. Uh, this is a wooden cabinet that's been reclaimed. And then finally, there's one more picture I want to share with you. This is a picture of me after I've been reclaimed. All right? <laughs> can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So as you can tell, Brad Pitt and I, we're basically the same guy. We could stop the sermon right now. Yeah, I appreciate that, David. Thank you. Thank you for that. In all seriousness, though, these images, except for the last one, but these images give us an idea of what the ghost of Christmas past wants to do with Ebenezer Scrooge. The ghost knows that Scrooge is miserable, he's mean, he's cantankerous, but the ghost also knows that Scrooge doesn't have to be this way. He wasn't meant to be this way. He was meant to be loving. He was meant to be charitable. He was meant to be kind. That's why he needs to be reclaimed. And similarly, 
The gospel tells us this is what God came to do for all of humanity at Christmas time 2,000 years ago. God came to reclaim us. God came to reclaim us. On the very first page of the Bible, before we are told anything else about human beings, the first thing we are told in Genesis 1, uh, verse 27 and verse 28, is that we as human beings have been made in the image of God. We have been made in God's own image. And a huge part of what it means for us to be made in God's image is that we have been made for relationships. We have been made for relationship with God, but we've also been made for relationship with each other. God and each other. These are the relationships for which God made us. And yet sin, as the story of Adam and Eve shows us, which is really a story about all of us, uh, sin came into creation of our own choosing and just messed all that up through a wrench and all that. Sin ruptured these relationships that God created us into, and sin turned us into people that God never wanted us to become, that God never intended that we would become. But instead of giving up on us, instead of writing us off, what God did at Christmas time is God entered our world through the person of Jesus Christ, this helpless baby lying in a manger. God entered our world to reclaim us. And the way you and I experience this reclamation is by giving our hearts and our lives over to God, becoming disciples of Jesus, those who walk in the way that leads to life. At that very moment that we become disciples of Jesus, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, the very person of God, takes up residence in us. And the Holy Spirit begins to work like an artist or a surgeon. The Holy Spirit begins to uproot all that's bad in us, all that's evil, all that's wrong, our bitterness, our pride, our resentment toward others. The Holy Spirit just gets rid of all this stuff, begins to mold us, refine us, reshape us, helping us to produce what the Apostle Paul calls in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so simply put, because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, and because of what Jesus continues to do in us each day by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I could be reclaimed. We could be restored. Uh, listen with me to how the Apostle Paul puts it. Uh, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. This is a pretty familiar passage. Paul writes this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, in other words, anybody who's a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Uh, the more traditional translations say a new creation. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God. We didn't earn it, we didn't merit it, it's a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And so hang on to those words, brought us back. Brought us back from what? From the sin and the brokenness that was never meant to define us as people, just like it was never meant to define Ebenezer Scrooge. Reclamation is important. It's critical. But let's not be fooled. Reclamation is incredibly uncomfortable. It makes us uneasy. Because, this is up here on the screen, Reclamation involves confronting parts of us that we would rather not deal with. And that's exactly what happens to Ebenezer Scrooge. The Spirit comes and says, hey, I want to reclaim you. And in the Spirit's attempt to reclaim Scrooge, what the Spirit does next 
is the Spirit takes Scrooge to shadows of past Christmases. And some of these Christmases, actually most of them, were incredibly painful for Scrooge. Do you remember the first shadow that the ghost shows Scrooge? It takes place when Scrooge is a little boy, maybe seven, eight, nine years old. Scrooge is a student at a boarding school. It's Christmas time. Everybody's gone home for the holiday. All the teachers have gone home. All the administrators have gone home. All the students have gone home. Only one person hasn't gone home for Christmas. Ebenezer Scrooge. This is a day before Child Protective Services when that kind of stuff was actually legal. And the whole reason Scrooge can't come home is that his dad doesn't want him to come home. For a long time, I had assumed that the reason Scrooge's father doesn't let his son come home is because Scrooge's mom died in childbirth. And for that reason, the dad resents his son. But actually, I was rereading the story, and it occurred to me, Dickens never says that. Some of the movies say that. That's where we get that assumption. But Dickens never actually says that. In fact, it's not entirely clear to us why Scrooge's dad won't let his son come home for Christmas. Scrooge's sister can come home, but not Scrooge. But what is clear is that experience of being left alone at a boarding school for Christmas has a lasting effect on Scrooge. And it makes me realize that all of us here today, all of us worshiping online, we all have negative memories from our past that impact us, don't we? Things that have happened to us, things that we've done, things that other people have done to us. And these negative experiences can stay with us for a long time. When I was uh, seven years old, uh, I began to take karate classes. Maybe some of you find that hard to believe that I took karate when I was a kid, but I did. When I was seven years old, I remember we were driving by this uh, karate studio. I told my mom I wanted to be a Power Ranger, and so she signed me up for karate. That was the TV show I was really into when I was a kid. And really, my mom saw karate as a way for me to learn discipline, uh, to stay active, to become fit. And I did karate from seven until I was about 16. Um, well, when I was 14 years old, I just started my freshman year of high school, there was a group of kids at the karate studio who really didn't like me. And they made it clear to me that they didn't like me. So whenever I would see them, they would give me a hard time, and I would always do my best to avoid them. Sometimes that was pretty much impossible. So one time I was in the bathroom, and the bathroom was set up like a locker area, there were benches to sit down on. There were hooks on the wall. Uh, there was room to gather, congregate, talk. And I was sitting by myself, and I was getting changed, getting ready for class. Class was going to begin in a few minutes. Well, all of a sudden, this group of kids came in. Uh, there was maybe five or six of them. And I was all by myself. And so they saw an opportunity. They began to surround me, made it impossible for me to get out of there. They didn't physically hit me, but verbally they laid into me. They said some really nasty things to me. Uh, a lot of us were taught as kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Can we be clear about something? That's a lie. Words hurt. Words cut deep into our souls. And so these guys uh, just called me names that I won't dare repeat, made me feel like a real piece of garbage. And the whole time I just kept praying. I said, please, God, make this be over. Make this be over. Make this be over. Well, then all of a sudden, the instructor comes inside, he sees what's going on, and he says, hey, guys, get out of here, get to class. And so 
We all went to class, but the whole time I was distracted. I didn't want to be there. I was about to lose it. I just wanted to get out of there, hide under a desk. I didn't want to be around people. Well, the owner of the studio saw that I was distracted, and so he yells out to me, hey, Jonesy. That was his nickname for me, Jonesy. And he you know, does one of these, tells me to come to him, and pulls me into his office, and I sit down, and he says, something's bothering you. What's going on? And I just kept saying, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And then I just lost it, much to my own embarrassment, right there in front of him, this person I wanted to impress, because I had internalized all those nasty words that were spoken over me. I was starting to think that they were true. That happened when I was 14 years old. I'm a grown man now. I still remember that like it was yesterday. All of us have negative memories like that. Some of us were bullied. Some of us were harassed. Some of us were picked on. Some of us were abused, physically abused, mentally abused, emotionally abused, even sexually abused. Some of us had a mom or a dad growing up, and our mom or our dad never took the time to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so honored to be your parent. Some of us were in bad marriages, toxic relationships. Some of us made bad decisions, bad lifestyle choices. Regardless what the gospel of Jesus tells us, what the gospel of Jesus announces to us is that our past doesn't get to define us. Amen? Our past doesn't get to define us. What has happened to us doesn't get to define us. What other people have said to us doesn't get to define us. What other people have done to us doesn't get to define us. What we have done to ourselves doesn't get to define us. Instead, what defines us, what characterizes us, is our identity in God. The fact that we have been made and created by God, the King of Kings. That you and I are people of worth and value because of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. My all-time favorite gospel, as I've mentioned in the past, is uh, John's gospel, uh, the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And there's an encounter in that gospel that is just incredibly amazing. And that would be Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that story in John chapter 4? So Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And so just to kind of set the story up, uh, Jesus is in the Samaritan village. The disciples have gone on somewhere else. Well, there's this woman who comes to draw water at the well at noontime. And that was pretty unusual because you wouldn't draw water at noontime. You would draw water back then early in the morning before the sun was out, before it got too hot outside. And so it's clear to us as we read the story that this woman was an outcast in her community. And the reason for that was her past relationships with men. She had been married and divorced five times, and the man that she was living with at that point was not her husband. Now, in my estimation, a lot of us make a big mistake when we read this story. We assume that the Samaritan woman must have been a promiscuous person. That is not true. Remember, in that culture 2,000 years ago, in a patriarchal culture, women didn't really have any say in who they married. And a woman could initiate a divorce. Only a man could do that, which means that this woman had been sexually exploited by various men in her community. Even the guy that she was living with, he didn't have the courage or the goodness to actually marry her. 
you know, solidify their relationship. Instead, all he would do was live with her, just keep her around for whenever he needed her. And she had to depend on him because of the way it was back then. Women depended on men to live, to survive. So nobody wanted anything to do with her except for one person, Jesus. Jesus came to the Samaritan woman. He didn't ignore her. He didn't avoid her. He had a difficult conversation with her about the past. But then Jesus offered to the Samaritan woman living water. He offered to her the chance to start all over again. And so I love how this encounter ends. This is from John chapter 4, uh, verses 28 through 30. And I would encourage you maybe today or sometime this week to read the story in its entirety, but that's a quick summary of it. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I adore this encounter because the Samaritan woman essentially becomes the first person in the Bible. To my knowledge, she's the first person in Scripture to tell other people that Jesus is the Messiah. She experiences redemption and healing from her past, and that redemption and healing that she comes to experience from Christ, it leads her to tell other people about it. And the gospel tells us that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. God wants to redeem our past. God wants to redeem the lies that we have been told, the hurt that other people have caused us, the bad choices that we have made. God wants to redeem all of these things and offer true healing. That's what Ebenezer Scrooge needed. He needed healing from his past. But Scrooge never got that healing. So what happened over time is he began to build up walls. He began to shut other people out. He was afraid to love, and he was afraid to be loved. One of the last shadows that the ghost show Scrooge happens when Scrooge is a young man, uh, maybe in his 20s or early 30s. He's engaged to be married to a woman. Uh, her name is Belle. Only Belle decides to break off the engagement because Belle cannot stand the person that Scrooge has become. And the fact that Scrooge loves money more than he loves Belle. And then the very last shadow that the ghost shows Scrooge in the book takes place a short time after that. Belle is married to another man. And she has a family. Scrooge lost his chance. At this point, Scrooge can't take it anymore. So this is what he says. Spirit, said Scrooge in a broken voice, remove me from this place I told you, this is the ghost speaking, I told you these were shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost, that they are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me, Scrooge exclaimed. I cannot bear it. Scrooge cannot bear to watch these painful memories, but as the spirit reminds him, these are the shadows of the things that have been, that they are what they are. Do not blame me. And it's true, folks, that we can't go back None of us have a time machine. We can't go back and change the painful parts of our past. But we can confront them. Give them over to God. Otherwise, the painful parts of our past can affect our present and our future. Just like with Scrooge. What happened to Scrooge as a child, alone at a boarding school, impacted him as a young adult. And what happened to him as a young adult when his fiancée broke up with him impacted him as an older man who had become this curmudgeon person that we meet at the very beginning of the story. 
And this can happen to us as well. But through Jesus Christ, God invites us to give the painful parts of our past over to God and to experience true healing. And so the question I want to leave us with today is will we allow God to enact that healing within us? Will we allow God to enact that healing within us? And maybe some of us feel as if we're too far gone. We've built up too many walls. Our hearts are way too hard. Let me assure you, God wants to heal you. Henry Nouwen, who was a great spiritual writer, he passed away uh, some years ago. Um, he tells this parable uh, about this gentleman, uh, this older wise man. He would meditate each day by the river. Uh, this was in India. Well, one day as he was meditating by the river, there was a scorpion that was floating down the river, and the scorpion was drowning. And so the old man reached in to grab the scorpion, but of course the scorpion stung him. And so he reached in again a second time to grab the scorpion, but again the scorpion stung him, and his hand was swelling up, and he was in a great deal of pain. Well, this, old, or this younger man saw what the older guy was doing, and he said, hey, old man, what on earth are you doing? Are you a fool? Only, only a stupid person would try to save an evil creature like that. Don't you know that that scorpion is just going to keep on stinging you? And the old man looked at the younger man, and he said, Son, just because it's in the scorpion's nature to sting does not change my nature to save. God's nature is to save us, to heal us, and to redeem our past. So by the grace of the Lord... Let's allow God to do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.